Cloydcast, a child-led podcast brought to you by Cloyd Primary School. everybody and welcome to the Cloydcast today and we've got an exciting Cloydcast today because we've got our first guest from outside of Cloyd um, and interviewing today we've got Lily Jones a year six pupil, Finley Walters a year six pupil. Excellent and who are we interviewing today guys? David Brayley. Yeah welcome Dave. Thank you wow what a great introduction <laughs> lovely to be here. It always feels long that bit when I sit and listen to the music but... <laughs> Um, so, Lil, do you want to fire away and just start the interview? Okay. Tell us a bit about yourself. Gosh, how long have you got? <laughs> um, okay, I'm uh, a writer from Swansea, um, born and bred in Swansea. I, I started life in Brynhavrid, which isn't too far away from Cloyd, uh, just down the road, really. Uh, when I was nine, I moved to Three Crosses, a place uh, on the edge of the Gower, and I suppose that's the place really where I formulated all my love for sport and for, for reading really. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to ever become an author, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but I had a teacher in Three Crosses School called Mrs. Hollidge. And Mrs. Hollidge, um, she was a wonderful teacher, but she understood the importance of getting us outside to play. So we, we, the school was opposite a village green. And whenever she could, she'd get us over the road to the village green We'd be play football with her. She would join in as well, play rugby, rounders, all these wonderful things. So I had a, a, a real interest in sport from day one growing up, really. But the key thing that Mrs. Hollidge also did was promote reading for us. Um, she didn't mind if we were, in my case, reading sort of comics about Roy the Rovers and anything sporty at all. But she would always encourage us to read books and, and just develop our reading skills. And what I didn't realise then was that all the love of reading that she gave me was going to lead eventually to me becoming an author much later in my life. So, yeah, my, 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 my early life was very much playing sport. Um, played sport for all my schools, football, rugby, cricket. Um, that carried on into my adult life. Believe it or not, I played football for Cloyd. Um, that was the, the adult team when I played for, um, from when I was 18 till I was about 26. Um, so when I first came to Cloyd School a few years ago, it was brilliant for me because we used to train sometimes on yard pitch at the side of the school. So it was nice to come back and see that. And then um, the reason I'm here today, I suppose, is because I became an author later on in my life, um, writing books with various sports people that I think we might be talking about later on. Um, and yeah, it's, it's everything to do with my love of sport, my love of reading, as maybe become an author really, which is why we're here today. That's interesting that like school shaped what you became later on. Oh yeah. Because we do loads of sport things here, don't yeah, we? We've got yeah. sports week. Finn, you do loads, don't you, within yeah. Cloyd? Lots of clubs. Football. Yeah. Rugby, Rugby football rounders. And we've got this new Find Out Friday, which is all about reading everywhere. Brilliant. Um, so, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, I don't want to get a massive book and just sit and read. So we were looking at reading like in the community, reading for enjoyment, like, yeah. you know, anything, magazines, whatever it is. So that's interesting, isn't it? That it shapes your interests for later life. Yeah, it's key. And, and I believe reading for pleasure is the key thing because mm -hmm. it's, it's not me telling you, you should read this book because I think it's great. That helps, but it may be that you just don't like the things that I like. So it's important that you guys find what you like whether it's football, sport, art, drama, it could be anything, and then read about the things that you like and love. And who knows, it could become your job then as well. What do you like to do in your spare time? Oh, 
Finley, what do I like to do in my spare time? Um, 10 years ago, I was a lot more active, right? So I'm still playing a little bit of football and stuff, but as you get a bit older, you slow down. So when I get spare time now, the main thing I love to do is go walking. Um, I try and walk sort of an hour every day. I try and fit some time in to do that. But if I've got a day off, um, I'll often do maybe eight or nine miles and just try and really um, get my exercise that way. So I love walking. I love walking around Swansea, all different parts of Swansea that maybe I visited when I was younger. It's nice to go back now as an older person and see if your memories are still the same. Uh, I love the history of Swansea, so I read a lot about that. And then I'll go to those places then. For example, the old, um, well, it's not old now, the new marina in Swansea used to be the old docks. So it's nice to go back there after you've read something about it and there may be one or two buildings that you can look at and, and, and remember what they were like. So I love that. And so walking, getting outside for fresh air and reading. I still read every single day. Um, I usually have two or three books on the go. Um, as I write children's books now, I like to read other children's authors just to see the way they write and, and talk about things. So yeah, um, and I enjoy cooking as well, but mainly because I enjoy the eating at the end of the cooking. <laughs> Everyone enjoys eating. Yeah. <laughs> what did you do for work before you came in a, an author? Yeah, um, well, when I was 18, um, I, my dream was to, to be some sort of professional sports person. Um, if I'm being honest, I probably wasn't good enough, but you, you don't know that when you're young. You still have the dream. You're um, not, you Do you, like, resonate with that? I'd love to be a footballer. Footballer, is it? Yeah. Now, the thing, the issue I had, I suppose, is that I didn't really, even though it was a dream well into my teenage years, I didn't really understand how hard you've got to work at it. So even if you're quite good at football, and I was quite good at football, I played in good football teams as well, but I didn't really understand that if you want to achieve anything like that, to dream of being a footballer, the amount of hard work you've got to put in is, is huge, and it puts a lot of people off. And I would put myself in that category, and I didn't really know that you had to dedicate yourself so much if you really want to achieve something like that. Um, so yeah, that was a, a, a kind of mistake I made, I guess, in my life. But the other mistake I made was that because I kind of had this little dream of maybe one day playing a, a big game of football and then get spotted by Swansea City and all of this stuff, I didn't really concentrate enough on my schoolwork. So that when I got to sort of 16 and 17, I didn't have the qualifications that I should really have got from school. And that meant that I didn't have many options then to get a job. So I ended up getting a job with the local council in Swansea. Um, I didn't. Re I loved working there with the people. It was brilliant. But the actual job I had, I didn't really enjoy. But I enjoyed going to work and, and being with with the people there. So the first ten years of my career, I kind of didn't really have the job that I wanted to have. Um, and then when I was thirty, I went back to to university on day release to get some qualifications to help me get a better career with Swansea Council. So I kind of look back now and realise I made mistakes in school, I should have tried harder in the classroom than I did. That would have given me options then at 18 or 19, maybe I could have gone to university, who knows, but I didn't get those options. But then when I got to that age of 30, and I realised I need to study now to get these qualifications, and then my career sort of got a bit better then. Um, yeah, and I stayed in, in Swansea Council till I was uh, no, 31 years, I think it was. But in the last few years of being working there, that was when my first book came out. And then I was able to get different options then and, and I had to make a decision then one day, do I want to carry on working for someone like the council or do I want to do something different in my life? And I chose the second option and that led me then to becoming a full-time author, which is what I do now.
What was your first book? My first book was uh, There's Only Two Tony Cotties. Um, you said that, didn't you? You yeah. said his first book was about Tony. And I, and I was like, ah. yes, that does ring a bell. I remember you speaking about it yeah. when you came in before. So you were right. Yeah, um, nice one. Um, and, and basically, Tony and I were best friends in school. So when I left Brynhoverid and went to live in Three Crosses, um, I remember going into the classroom with, with the head teacher and the, the, the teacher was in the Mrs. Hollage I mentioned. Uh, she said, oh, David, come in. We've been expecting you. There's a seat over there. And it was next to this boy called Tony. And unbeknown to both of us, really, we remained best friends since another, what's it, nearly 50 years almost now. Um, and then Tony had a brilliant sports career. He played football for Swansea City. He played cricket for Glamorgan and for another team in England called Sussex. And at the end of his career, because we had this um, sort of love of sport and love of reading, um, we got together and, and wrote his book. Um, so it was a book of his life, an autobiography. Um, and that was the first book I ever wrote. So, sorry guys, I'm, just, I'm interested now. <laughs> um, so, did you, you, you wrote that book, but you didn't have a degree in no, like, journalism no, or nothing. No. You just had a love of reading. Yeah, yeah. So obviously all your skills have come from... 100%, yeah. yeah and, and the funny thing about it was I'd sort of spoken to Tony for a while about his story in particular could make a great book. Um, because by then, I don't know how many books I'd, I've read, it's probably thousands, but most of them have been sports autobiographies about people's lives. And when you read them, for every four or five really good ones, there are about eight or nine not very good ones. And what I used to do with Tony, because he was living away, is that I'd get in touch with him and say, oh, I've just read Saunders' autobiography, it's really good. Next time you're in Swansea, you can borrow it. And then he might ring me and say, oh, I'm thinking of reading so-and-so's book next weekend, I'm going to buy it. And I said, oh, I've read that, it's awful, don't bother. Oh, yeah. So I didn't realise, but Tony was sort of valuing my choices, yeah. if you like. So when the time came for him to finish his career, and I'd mentioned to him a few times about writing a book because I thought it could be good, and I think he, he kind of called my bluff, really, and then one day when, he, when he'd retired, he just said, well, you write it for me then. And even though I'd been kind of, yeah, I'll do things like that, I was absolutely terrified. And yeah. I, I didn't say yes straight away because I, I thought, well, what qualification have I got to write a book? I've never written anything since I was in school. And then we had another chat about it, and I was I told him I'd love to do it, but I'm really scared. What if I can't? And he said, Well, let's just see. Yeah, let's just give see. It go, isn't it? And, and yeah, and, it, and even throughout the, the, the book, really, I, I was saying things to him like, Look, if this isn't any good, just tell me, and then you can give it to another writer. And then one day he pulled me and he said, Look, stop being negative, be positive. He yeah. said, you, you always wanted to be in sport. Well, if you're in sport, you kind of have a negative attitude thing. What if it doesn't work out today? What if, what if? You've got to go for it. So he said, just go for it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, you haven't lost anything. Yeah, absolutely. So when I talk to, to people in schools about that moment, I often mention the, um, uh, the comfort zone thing. And I realise now that I was in my comfort zone. I was married, I had two daughters, I had a good career, I had a nice house. And all of a sudden, I was being asked to do something I'd never done before. And I was worried that, that it would fail and people might laugh at me. And that was at the start of it, why I was almost a bit nervous about doing the book with him. But as history has shown, we managed to do it and it was well received. And, and now my attitude to life is basically give anything a go. Mm. You, you know, as long as it's safe for you youngsters, that's the important thing, but give anything a go because if you don't try something, you're never gonna know if you can do it. Um, and that's the attitude I have now. So um, yeah, um, that was the first book and it led to lots of other things. Positive mindset. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, we didn't know it was called that back then, but uh, <laughs> but I know now that's what it is. Yeah. What made you want to become an author? Um, th this is the funny thing, Finley, is that 
as a, as a youngster, I mentioned, all I wanted to do was play sport, you know, and, and then as I got into my career, after realising I wasn't going to be good enough to play professional sport, um, I just wanted a job in sport. But the problems I mentioned earlier as well about not having the qualifications to have the career I wanted meant that after like 15 years in my, my, my working career, I had a good job and everything, but I still wasn't working in the world of sport, which is something that I really wanted to do. Um, so that then meant that how was I going to get this step into to working in sport, really? Um, and it was the reading thing again, you know, I, because I never stopped reading. And I, I like to think I almost became an expert in sport, you know. So a lot of my friends would say, oh, go and ask Dave, he'll tell you who won the rugby last weekend or who holds the record for the most number of caps in football and all this nonsense. It was all in, in my head, you know. So it was that sort of um, uh, desire, I suppose, to want to work in sport, but not having a way to get into it. But it was then when Tony then mentioned that he was going to do his book. Even though I was really scared, as I mentioned, I did realise, well, if this works, then maybe I can finally end up working in the world of sport. And that's why now all the books I write are to do with sport. Because it's, it's finally, if you like, I didn't know I was going to become an author, I didn't plan. And I suppose people would say to me, well, if it wasn't for your best friend, you wouldn't have become an author. And that's absolutely true. But the way I look at that is, but I still had to take the opportunity. You know, if someone offers you an opportunity, you've still got to make it work. And, and that's kind of what happened with Tony, really. So, yeah, I never planned on being an author. That's a funny thing. And, and to this day, I don't plan anything. I just go with the flow. Um, and, and if opportunities come, I'll say yes and see where they take me. And just the, the, the big difference between me now and when I was probably your age, Finley, and dreaming of being a footballer, was now, when I get a chance to do something, even this podcast, I try and do my absolute best at everything I do. Whereas when I was a youngster playing football, I used to really coast through things. Think it was going to come to you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and not take it seriously enough. Whereas now, I want everything I do to be the best it can be. And it, it's never ever going to be the best, but if you try for things to be the best they can, then if they don't work out perfectly, they're still going to be pretty good. And, and that's the way I look at life now. You've got, it's when you've got passion behind you, see, isn't it? Yeah. It changes um, how well you do things because you're passionate about it. 100%. 100%. Like, I got scouted and I thought it was really good and wow. trying to get in. Yeah. But it, loads of people were like, really there on me. And, and that's a tough thing to deal with at your age, right? Because you always, this is the funny thing about when we're young, is we spend a lot of our time looking at others, thinking they're better than us. But what you don't realise is they might be looking at you thinking you are better than them, okay? But you won't know that, will you? And, and you don't know that until you're about 30 years of age where you bump into someone and they, oh, I remember you, Finley used to play for Cloy. You were good. And you think, oh, was I? So what you must try and do is just, as I said earlier, do your absolute best and believe it can happen. We don't know if it's going to happen. We've no idea if it's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to happen. But give it your best go. And then strange things do occur, right? Really strange things. People can miss a game for a certain reason. You play, you get man of the match, and then you never look back. Okay, so just give it your best shot, whatever you do, in training, playing, and then one day you might be on this podcast being interviewed back at the school. You never know, you never know. <laughs> Who has been your favourite person to work with and why? Oh gosh, favourites, that's hard. Um, well, I've worked with three main people, I suppose, with my book. So Tony, the first one, um, which I've mentioned, and that was a, a fantastic experience because for the reasons I've said, really, number one, I didn't, 
have a clue if it was going to work. I didn't know if I had the ability to be an author. Um, and the nice thing about that was that Tony, the way we did it, we'd meet up once a week. I'd interview Tony about a certain part of his life. Uh, then I'd go away and write it and then send him an email with this sort of story of his life in that email. And then I'll never be able to thank Tony enough, actually, because he would come back to me then, usually the next day, with a little email saying, Dave, man, that was brilliant. I loved it. It was so much better than my story. So he was giving me confidence to realise that I was able to to have a skill of listening to someone tell some story, find some information, because you've got to do a lot of research as well, because sometimes Tony's memory wasn't exact to, to what he was saying. So I'd have to go away and make sure that the, the, the cricket match he was talking about happened on the day that he said it was and against the team he thought it was, but then put it into the story and send it to him. So he gave me an enormous amount of confidence, really, in believing I could do do it. And because we were best friends, we just had a laugh as well. Yeah, we, we just really, yeah. And the one thing he said about it as well, because I, I do tend to overthink things sometimes and, and think to myself, right, if I'm doing this thing, how's it going to impact there? And is it going to work over there? And Tony just took all the pressure off and said, look, we're not, we haven't got a time scale. He said, you've got a job, I've got a job. So it's not as if someone's telling us to do it and we lose our job. So he said, just enjoy it. If it takes two years, if it takes three years, it's not a problem. And when that pressure was taken off, I think that helped me flourish. Um, and then fortunately for us, the book was really well received. It got nominated for a National uh, Cricket Book of the Year Award, um, which again was amazing to think that people had read something I'd written and, and thought it was worthy of being nominated for an award. And that led then to all the other things. So the next person I worked with then was Ashley Williams. Uh, I'd met Ashley once. Uh, at a school event that I'd, I'd been involved with and Ashley was the footballer that came in to, to do the event with the, the children and I, even though I'm a massive Swans fan and, and loved him as a player I didn't know much about his background because he was quite young then um, and I listened to him that day talking to the, the children so inspirational about how he'd been given a massive disappointment at 16 when the football club he played for West Bromwich Albion had basically told him you're not good enough you'll never be a footballer and instead of giving up, he wanted to, to prove them wrong. And the way he talked about that, it just stuck in my mind thinking, God, this, this person's a bit special really with the, the attitude they have in life. And the long story short was a couple of years or about 18 months after that, um, the Swans got promoted to the Premier League, the first Welsh team ever to do it. Ashley was the heart of that team. And when I was a kid, when I was like you, Finley, dreaming of becoming a footballer, I'd read a diary of a professional footballer then and it told the story of his season in football and no one had really done it since then. So I was a bit cheeky, I got in touch with Ashley and asked him if I could meet him for a coffee and I had a, this idea about a book. Um, Ashley and I met, Ash brought his wife Vanessa as well, a lovely, lovely person, and I just told him the idea. And luckily for me, they both thought it's a great idea and Ashley asked if I would write it with him. And because I now had the confidence, because I'd done Tony's book, I didn't worry about it, I just said, yeah, brilliant. So I spent a year basically with Ashley in the Swans' first season in the Premier League, going to all the games home and away, uh, going to the Wales games because Ashley would get me the tickets, going to um, training sessions to watch the Swans, going to Ashley's house, me and his family, uh, got to know his mum and dad, and it's probably one of the best sporting years of my life. Even though I wasn't playing sport, I was so closely involved in what was such an important football season in the history of Swansea City, who I'd supported since I was seven. Um, but the, the, the pinnacle of it all was Ashley himself, such an inspirational and lovely person, but a, a real warrior on, on the field. And he had this personality where he wouldn't accept defeat. 
it just it wasn't part of his life. So if he was playing a game of football and you're losing 2-0 with five minutes to go, he still wouldn't accept that you're going to lose that game. And I learned a lot from his attitude, really, just talking to him about the game that was played, say, on the previous Saturday, and then talking about the game that was going to come up on the next Saturday, because I had to know that information to put it into the book. And I just learned so much about the positivity needed to be an elite athlete, but also off the field, what a nice guy he was. And similar to Tony, we had such a laugh doing it because Ash has got a great sense of humour as well. And it's, gosh, it's 11 years ago we did the book, but we're still in touch. He's still a great friend. And the nicest thing about Ashley as well is it was around that time I was starting to come into schools quite a lot to do work that I'd done with you guys in the past. And Ash always used to say, look, if you ever need me to come in, I'll come in. So he must have come into about six or seven schools with me. Um, and obviously the children love to see a professional footballer. He just gave up his time to do it, which I'm eternally grateful for, um, and was just a, a wonderful experience, really. So that was Ashley, uh, which I look back on incredibly fondly. And now I work with James Hook, the, the Welsh Rugby International. And it's a very similar story, really. Uh, James approached me because he was aware of my book, Champion of Champions, the first children's book I'd written about sport, that I know we've talked about in, in your class. Um, and he loved the idea behind it and what I was trying to do. Now, I didn't know James at all, even though I'd supported him as a Welsh rugby player. He'd been a fantastic player. And we had a mutual friend called Mal Pope. And Mal had got in touch with me to say, look, James Hook wants to talk to you about doing a book. When I thought he meant doing a book about his life, like the one I did with Tony and with Ashley. And then when I met with James and he said that he had three young boys and he'd struggled to find rugby stories yeah. for his boys to read, plenty of rugby books out there about you know how to be a great rugby player and the history of the World Cup and all this stuff but there weren't story books about rugby and then within literally 10 minutes of him explaining his idea I understood exactly what he wanted and then we spent basically the next two years putting together two books um, because we were lucky enough to get a contract for, for a series of books uh, called Chasing a Rugby Dream and it's been brilliant because as much as I love watching rugby, I didn't play that much of it as a kid. I played more football. Now I was getting to learn from a real expert in James because I had to write about it in the book. Um, and again, James, very similar to Ashley, got a fantastic attitude to life and to sport, but off the field is just such a lovely person as well. I know he's come to your class. Do you remember when he came in to yeah, see you guys? Yeah, he's been a few times yeah. in Deployed, hasn't he? And he's yeah. such a great fella, same as Ashley. He gives his time. If I, you know, if I'm going into a school and the school has mentioned that they'd like to, you know, meet James or whatever, James will, if he's got the time to do it, he'll come in and do it as well. So I, I can't pick a favourite really is the, is the short answer to a long answer I've just given you. Um, working with my best mate was a dream. Working with Ash was a dream to get to know a legendary footballer and now currently working with James. And they're different, they're all different, aren't they? They are, yeah. yeah. And, and um, they've been three life experiences that I'll never forget. So... Unable to give you an answer, sorry. Because <laughs> Dave's already answered that one, so I'd go on to number seven. What are you? What are your future plans? What's next for you? Yeah, it's a great question. If you'd asked me this maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I, I probably would have been worrying, you know, because I used to worry about the future and, you know, am I going to have enough money to feed the kids, all this sort of stuff. But I kind of don't worry anymore because I've worked out that life is is something that you just kind of take day by day. Um, as I'm a self-employed writer, self-employed author, that's what we all are. If you worry about things and, oh, is my next book gonna be this, that and the other, you, you know, it'll just be a nightmare. So I don't worry anymore. 
Um, I've written my next book already. Uh, it's called George's Fateful D-Day. Uh, and it's a book about, um, it's kind of like historical fiction. Um, so basically it's about something that happened in real life. So the real life thing is set in World War II. Um, and in World War II, about 18 months, two years before, have you heard of something called D-Day in World War II? It was a, a big moment of World War II where basically Britain, America and Canada left Britain very early one morning on the 6th of June uh, 1944, went across the English Channel to France and then basically fought the Germans on the beaches and pushed them all the way back to Germany and that was why the war ended. And basically the, in the two years leading up to World War uh, to D-Day, in Swansea, a load of American soldiers came to live here, about 10, 15,000 American soldiers. Some lived on Morriston Park, some lived on Underhill Park in Mumbles, uh, lots of other little places, and they put massive tents up, and that's where they lived, and they trained on the beaches because they had to work out how it would happen when they went to France to fight the Germans. And one of the places they lived was a, a little village called Skirlidge, down on the Gower near Potainen. Um, there's a, a rugby field there now, uh, and a um, a little sort of campsite thing. Well, that used to be an American army camp. And um, my best friend, Tony, his dad grew up in a little village called Potaina, which he might have been to. And I always had it in my mind, what must it have been like for a young person growing up in 1944, knowing that up the road, there were like 3,000 American soldiers with guns, mm. with ammunition, with all these things, with, with tanks and with big lorries. And every now and again, they'd go down on the beach and they would pr pretend to take part in, in war, basically. So that was the idea I always had, that that, it, that happened, all of that happened. But what I've done is made up a story about someone called George, who's a 10-year-old boy, really into his sport, very good at rugby, but he's getting a bit of bullying in school. So he struggles to find his friendship group in school, and he finds this young American soldier who sees George play rugby on the beach and can tell he's really good because the American soldier was only 19, was a really good American footballer in college in America, but now he's got to go to war. And I wondered what would it be like that friendship about this young boy who wouldn't know anything about war, but then this other young boy who's only nine years older than him is quite soon going to have to go and fight. So I tell the story of this friendship, how he helps George with the bullying, uh, and basically then how George starts to come to realise that his best friend, his new best friend, quite soon, is going to go to this dangerous war yeah. and that's the story really so um, oh, that sounds really good yeah so I, it's with a couple of publishers at the moment which uh, and that's the thing as an author you never know if a publisher is going to publish your book you never know if they're going to say oh this is brilliant or if they're going to say well actually Dave it's not for us at the moment and this comes back to this thing I was saying earlier on about never giving up if if a publisher doesn't want to publish my book the old Dave, if you like, would have worried about it and thought, oh, well, it can't be very good. Now I just accept, well, it's not for them, so I'll try another one. And that's what you do when you, you, you go down that route. You know J.K. Rowling that wrote Harry Potter? Twelve publishers turned her Harry Potter books down. The one that took them on, Bloomsbury, at last count has made something like half a billion pounds. Right, and made an enormous amount of money. So imagine those other 11 publishers who basically said, we don't want to publish your book. So I don't worry about publishers saying they don't want to publish my book because I think, well, J.K. Rowling didn't worry about it. She stuck at it and look what happened yeah. to her. 
Now, I don't the think for a minute. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I'm having to sell as many as her. But Come um, on, positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe I will. No, but that's how I look at it now, and, and that'll be the next book. And hopefully, James and I are going to work on future books together as well. And also, there's a a former uh, Wales sports person that's been in touch with me with the potential of doing their book, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet. But um, if that happens as well, that'll be a dream for me because this person is someone I really admire. Um, so yeah, it's just hoping, keep writing, keep reading, and seeing where we go from there, really. Yeah, great. What's the best advice you've been given? The best advice? Oh, that's a good question. I think really it's going back to what I said at the start with, with Tony. Um, Tony had lived this life of professional sport, which he did it for 22 years. Some people get into professional sport and don't last one year because they don't have the right attitude. And, and I think with Tony, he, it was that day really when we were talking about the book and, and, and me being a bit negative about it and, and him more or less saying, look, if you've got a negative attitude, negative things will follow. And he was the one that made me change my mindset into this, now we call positive mindset, into just being positive about things, you know? And if you think something isn't gonna happen, it probably won't. And if you think something bad is going to happen, then that's probably what is going to happen. But if you have a positive view on things, if you believe good things are going to happen, then even if they don't, you've had a good day, haven't you? Because you've been thinking positively about life. Um, and he believes that you should absolutely, if you're going to start anything, write a book, um, play a football match, paint a wall, just believe it's going to be the best painted wall at the end of it. Yeah. And that may mm -hmm. be the thing that comes out of it. Um, and the other thing that, that Tony um, put into my head, which again is great advice really, he said, don't be the person in the room that people avoid because you're always miserable. Now, I don't think I ever was a miserable person, but I've worked and known people that when you see them on a nice sunny day, you say, hello, how are you? Oh, terrible. Oh, terrible. I've had a headache all day. My, my, my cat's been sick. My car's got a flat tire. <laughs> and within five minutes, this beautiful day that you're in, you're dragged down by them because yeah. they've been really negative about things. So the other advice Tony gave me, which he'd been told throughout his sports career, was always be the up person in the, in the dressing room, so in life. So even if I got some things that, yeah, I don't know, maybe if I got a bit of tough ache or something, and, and someone said, hi Dave, how are you? I'd say, yeah, good, thanks. Oh, thanks, how are you? Why would I want to bore them with what's getting me down today? Always be positive. So yeah, positive mindset, think good things are going to happen and always try and, and give that warmth and, and that positivity to other people. That's probably the best advice and I got it from, from Tony. That's great advice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, thanks so much, Dave. That was so interesting. Pleasure. Uh, I feel like I could listen all day and be back <laughs> in yeah. um, But each of our guests that comes on, yeah. we finish with a little quiz. Okay. Um, so we'd like to test your knowledge Love and see <laughs> if you are smarter than a 10-year-old. Oh, no. <laughs> So they came up with these questions okay. based on the type of thing we're learning at the moment. And then the last one, we were like, we've got to throw him a hard one because right. he's a writer. So we've got <laughs> to test his i got to say, before you start, you have no idea how competitive I am now, right? <laughs> I have literally just switched on. I am focused now. <laughs> what is the capital city of Ukraine? Ah, okay. It's in the news. Well, in my day, it used to be called Kiev. It's Kiev now, isn't it? So yeah, we talked about this, didn't we? Yeah, they, they've now used the, the correct pronunciation. So, Kiev. Oh, bonus point for knowing the, yeah. the extra bit of knowledge there. Should we stop now? One over one. <laughs> <laughs> Name one bone that's in your arm. Oh, um, radius. 
Yeah. 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 Two points. Can you name a colour in Welsh? Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of my daughter <laughs> singing the rainbow song. Uh, glass. Blue. Yeah. Yes. What do you call a shape that has six sides? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Confusing. Um, six-sided shape would be... Hexagon? Yes. Yeah. Right. This is the one we were hoping yeah. he'd uh, right. catch you out here. Spell onomatopoeia. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where I crash and burn. Onomatopoeia. O N. Yeah. A. P. No. Oh, there's. Oh, no, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Made the same mistake as me, actually, when I was trying to spell it. Who spell it, Bill? O N O A T M M. So on O Matt O N O M A T O P O E I A. I'm glad I failed at the start. Can you imagine having an author on a podcast who can't spell? What does onomatopoeia mean, Finn? Words that are noises. Yes. Oh, brilliant. I'm glad you told me that as well. Gosh. Um, and that's it. Thank brilliant. you so much. Oh, Just, thank oh, you. It's been so interesting. Um, it's lovely listening to you. Well, oh, you know, thank you. You've done. And we look forward to that new book. That sounds yeah. like yeah. you've amalgamated yeah. all your passions, like yeah. history and sport. Absolutely, yeah. So um, yeah. that's really interesting. So thank you very much. And we'll speak to you next time on The Clydecast.